had Elon Musk going into Twitter with a flamethrower, getting rid of half their workforce. That's uh, 3,700 people. Then you had Microsoft. It was a sink. It was a sink, yeah. man. It was a sink, not a flamethrower. Exactly. Wow. You know, <laughs> I think there's a flamethrower in the sink. Hi friends, welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. I'm joined by Aaron Bush, co-founder of Navic, and Neil Dasgupta, co-CEO of First Light Games, and Joachim Akren, kind of, kind of right, uh, founder wow. and CEO of Elite Game Developers, venture partner at Play Ventures, and I'm sure you know him if you're in the games industry. Welcome everyone. Hello, hello. Hey. Yeah, Joachim, thank you so much for joining us. This, it was um, honestly something I dreamed maybe doing is being on a podcast with you at one point in my life. So this is my Christmas present. Right. That's great. Yeah, this is my first time for me on the Metacast. So it's a, it's a first time guest, long time listener from the <laughs> beginning. <Ooh. laughs> I think you did a collaboration with Navic was it for a still front we were just discussing it yeah i think that was still the days before it was still master the meta i think that was is that correct darren i think so yeah those were the the master of the meta days and yeah we we did a deep dive on still front um joaquin interviewed the ceo and um yeah learned a lot it was good to collab we'll do it again sometime but yeah excited to have you on today joaquin Thanks, Aaron. It's good to be here. Is that here. a prediction for 2023 collaboration? We're kicking things yes. off. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> prediction. It's a solid um, yeah, one. A solid one. So to give a bit of context, uh, today is a special end of the year episode. So we're going to be reviewing all the learnings from this year and also doing some predictions for next year. And before we move on, you know that I always like to get to know anyone who's joining for the first time a little bit more. Um, yeah, so make sure that you check out Joachim's Elite Game Developers, the newsletter, the podcast, the services. I've been listening from day one since I wanted to join the industry. It is just a treasure trove of information and learning. So yeah, go and check that out if you're not a listener yet. I'm going to do a quick intro about you. Yeah, so my background is like, being an entrepreneur in gaming for from 2005 when I started my first venture-backed gaming studio. So it's been a while uh, of trying these things out. Uh, then like I was at Supercell for a bit before starting Next Games, which was acquired earlier this year by Netflix. So that kind of um, ended my journey so far as, a, as an entrepreneur in a VC-backed company. But then I've been doing angel investing uh, for three years, also run an angel syndicate with over 200 people from the games industry where we do SPVs. Uh, as a group, we invest in companies. We've done like 20, 20 SPV deals in the last two years. And then I do some personal angel investing as well. Plus I'm part of the Play Ventures team as a, a part-time board partner and venture partner where it's a it's a mix of things so that's me wow so did did you get um 
I assume you got to know the Netflix strategy quite early on. So I think Next Games was one of their first acquisitions, wasn't it? Well, the acquisition happened early this year, but there was a project uh, with the Stranger Things IP going on for several years already. Um, so there's there's been a relationship in place for, for several years already, and I think it was a good time to 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 team up with a with a IP conglomerate like Netflix and get things to the next level. Yeah, well congratulations on the acquisition. Thanks. It was sure a, that. yeah. It's really good. Yeah. So yeah, like of course like elite game developers is kind of my my focal point now as like somebody who still wants to do some creative work. So I write a newsletter every week targeting gaming entrepreneurs. So you can check that out on elitegamedevelopers.com. So, yeah. All right. Thanks. Um, if you're wondering, oh, New Year, New Year resolution, what should I do next year? I need a new adventure. Well, I might have the solution just for you. This is my intro of a pharmaceutical uh, product. No, it's not. Uh, we're, open, we're actually opening up new people joining the roundtable panel. And so if you listen to the roundtable, if you think that you'd like to join, we'll be sending out a bit more formal details uh, further, maybe earlier in, in January. But yeah, if you, if you want to know more about the opportunity, uh, just send me a message on LinkedIn, send us an email through the Metacast email, and we'll get back to you. We're looking for uh, people in the industry who uh, like analyzing games, like analyzing game adjacent tech industries, company strategies, and driving insights from M&A analysis. So yeah, reach out if this is something you're keen on. Because some of the predictions might be a little bit negative, and it was a little bit of a tough year, I thought we could start this end of year special with a positivity note of everyone saying what they're excited about for next year. So I think I'll pick you first, Aaron. What are you really looking forward to in the games industry? What am I looking forward to? Um, I mean, games, right? Um, I mean, I'm excited for some games coming out. And I don't know if this is stepping on toes for, for later in the episode. I don't know, but... Um, I mean, there's a new Final Fantasy game coming out. There's a new Zelda game coming out. Starfield's coming out. You know, there's lots of like huge games coming out that I'm excited about. I feel like 2022, there were still good games, right? But it was like a slower year of some of these like massive releases. And so 2023 is going to be, you know, revving, revving up the engines again. And, you know, having no chance of you know getting through any backlog whatsoever because you can't keep up with with anything because there's too much goodness out there so yeah i mean that's what i'm looking forward to i know what anil's going to be doing in june 2023 <laughs> you you would be right but before i get on that i'll say there is another positive thing but i'm going to save that because i thought of my predictions one's actually positive so i'll actually start with my negative prediction first when we get there and do the positive to end because i think it's important to go into a new year with a positive outlook but yeah, as Maria is hinting at, June 2023 is when Street Fighter VI has been announced. Um, I got to play the beta earlier in the year. 
it's pretty amazing. I remember being on a previous Metacast with um, Aaron and Matt, <clears throat> and Matt jokingly said, imagine if it was a Street Fighter Six metaverse where you could walk around and do stuff. That's actually what they've built. But the most important thing is the gameplay so far is really good. Um, fighting games are interesting because I feel like you have to play for 100 hours before you can even say if it's good or not. Um, I've played it for about 10 so far, and it is pretty good. And um, just so you know, like, I worked on, on number four, which was really good. That was like one that had a gap of about 10 years. But I wasn't at the company when they made five. And when they first released five, they released it in a really bad state. It had sort of no single player content. The online barely worked. And I remember actually texting one of my friends as soon as I started playing it, just going, what have you done? <laughs> so luckily this time around, it looks like they're taking their time. They've delayed the launch. They're going to make it really good. And um, so far from what I've played, I think it's really, really fun. I think it's quite a fresh take on on the, the genre as well. And um, yeah, I think um, I will be taking off some holidays in June to play it. I think that's the prediction. You're predicting Street Fighter will yes. be a massive success. I, I think in London, there's a competitive scene. I helped start that when I was younger. Yeah, Did you really? Run, I used to run tournaments in a Good Street Arcade uh, called Casino, which is now unfortunately a uh, Scientology oh. <laughs> a convert, but actually it was next to that, so that's not quite right. But yeah, I did. I'll actually send you some footage. I used to run tournaments. That's how I ended up working for Capcom, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, that's nice. a fun fact. Yeah. Uh, Joachim, how can you be that? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm waiting for some games as well. One of them is definitely Blast Royale, so can't can't hey. wait for that one. <laughs> there you go. Um, but the, the, there's like the a amount of to pay yeah. to get that mentioned on here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah check it out, Blast Royale. Um, so there's a lot of startups that are actually coming out with a game in 23, and that's that's I think the most exciting thing. Like most of the companies that I've been working with. After I started doing investing three years ago, they're, they're kind of at, at the stage where the the ones who've been figuring out what their game is going to be, they're kind of like at that point where next year is the year of the launch for so many people. So I think that's that's what I'm looking forward to to a lot. And I think there's also other other interesting games coming out from like. Um, bigger publishers so definitely an interesting year and now we're ready to enter the first end of the year prediction maybe we'll be able to put some drum roll sound effects here maybe Aaron what do you got for us yeah I think uh, next year the console market will accelerate and you know my my take here is pretty simple and so i don't know how much there really is to discuss because uh, it feels pretty obvious to me but i'm curious what you guys think but you know ultimately the console market is poised to improve because several headwinds that you know hit at once over the past couple of years will um will just start to wane and so for starters new console shipments have been held back by supply chain issues namely semiconductor shortages but you know, already in Q4, which we're in right now, should see improvements, and that'll extend to the next year. And there's plenty of pent-up demand still for new consoles, especially the PS5. So um, that tailwind is there. And then, of course, the the consoles that people play on has an impact on their engagement, right? So, for example, in Sony's latest earnings call, um, or in their earnings report, I should say, player engagement on PlayStation as a whole actually was down a bit over the previous year. But 
uh, performance was actually quite positive um, for PS5 gamers. And so that higher engagement leads to more sales. And as more PS5s specifically get out there, but other consoles too, um, we'll see more engagement around newer games. And as I mentioned, you know, you know, it, for Riz's last question, much of 2022 had a noticeable game launch shortage, and 2023 is poised to to turn that around and just be a more active year for game launches. And even something um, as simple as going from a weak Call of Duty year to a strong Call of Duty year um, has a, a noticeable impact on on the market, and that's exactly what has happened um, in the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 game is. Um, very successful, of course, Call of Duty itself, branching out Warzone and other, and with Warzone two coming out, that's going to be going to be a hit. Um, and even if you zoom in a bit to something like subscriptions, which have been a big topic of conversation, um, you know, wondering whether something like Game Pass will really work, how disruptive it really is, etc. Um, obviously, we'll see what happens next year with Microsoft, with you know whether or not Activision. The, the the acquisition of Activision Blizzard will go through. If so, that's very meaningful um, for for the console market as a whole. Um, but w- whatever happens there, even games like Starfield, Redfall, just like those next big Xbox AAA hits coming out, um, it's probably going to have pretty decent um, positive momentum for subscriptions like Game Pass. And we already know that um, PlayStation, which this past year has kind of branched their subscriptions into different tiers. They're just going to lean into that even more, kind of refine it further and probably see some more success there. Um, Like with everything, kind of the big wild card, in my opinion, is just what the heck happens with the economy and which parts of all of these markets get impacted to various degrees. I think if you look at the consoles themselves, there's still going to be plenty of pent up demand for, you know, PS5 consoles and, just the the top IPs that people are clamoring for, but but still across all of this, how many games people buy, how much they choose to spend um, in in some of these games, it still could be could be impacted. But as a whole, um, you know, a lot of headwinds are going to turn into tailwinds. So I feel pretty good about console acceleration for for twenty twenty three, but also but you know, really just like this generation of moving forward the next few years too. So um, yeah. I feel like I'm right on this, but does anyone disagree? Anyone have any um, further points worth noting about the console market heading into next year? I think I might challenge you a little bit on that. I, I, I would I would normally agree with you. I think, though, the wild card at play here, though, is the global recession. And I think the thing is, is that when, you know, people are struggling with money, do they buy the shiny new expensive console? Or do they stick with sort of live service games and free to play? Um, I could see it going either way because I would say that these days consoles tend to have a more aged audience than they did maybe in my year when I would buy them when I think it was kind of like a, an 1824 thing. Now I think it's pretty conscious that you see consoles are, are bought by an older audience and, and they have large disposable incomes. But <clears throat> I do I do wonder, I just think that like um, it is going to be a tough year for everyone involved and Will families justify spending 400, 500 bucks on a brand new console or will they tell their kid to suck it and, you know, just make do with what they've got? And then it kind of accelerates once we start coming out of the recession. Uh, I would agree, though, that the supply chain issues are definitely something that has hindered PlayStation 5, especially for years. So maybe just that alone being cleared makes it accelerate. I, I could see it either way, I guess. That's what I would challenge you on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll was- challenge your challenge. But go ahead, Joaquim. 
Yeah, I, I think like I was looking at the Black Friday sort of that that re- like sales numbers in Europe at least things look really positive. So it's not showing up yet. If if whatever is going to happen next year, we don't really know. Uh, but at least there's no signs of things really like already slipping downwards. So everything's looking good. Uh, I, I myself have been playing with the Steam Deck recently quite a lot. Uh, I don't know if it categorizes as a console, like whatever it is, but is it more like a PC? Yeah, there <laughs> there we have one. Um, so in a way, like there's, there's probably a lot more opportunity out there. So I, I'd rather blame Microsoft and Sony of like, you know, not innovating enough if, if numbers aren't picking up. I think there's interest for people to have cool gaming devices and uh and spending is there but like if 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 it's not you know provided through like value i i don't see like numbers improving yeah i just think there's so much pent-up demand just from people who haven't been able to buy it yet um especially the ps5 but even the switch has had a lot of supply chain issues over this past year um and so and and who knows what will happen with the the switch market and whatever new you know skews they throw out next year if any um but i feel pretty good about that and i guess what i would i would actually maybe push back in l and i could be totally wrong on this too the other part is i actually feel like free to play could be more impacted than premium because of how more like whale driven and people having more of a choice of how much they spend that people more at the higher end might might pull back and while people who want to buy consoles or just spend you know 60 70 bucks on the game will still do so but i guess we'll see the market the the games industry has changed so much since the last major recession i think it'll be interesting to see how different it reacts um this time around but anyways those are my thoughts oh yeah last question since the the steam deck was brought up i'm curious to to hear you guys now that it's been out for a bit you've played it um how important do you think it is to the market i think it sold it hasn't sold that many units, maybe like a million or two, uh, which is you know way less than any other console. But I'm curious if you think there's something there that will stick and get iterated on and become bigger than it is now, or if it's just going to kind of be this super niche thing for a long period of time. I feel it will be a niche thing. Um, I think it's quite fun to play, but it just feels like the ultimate boys toy. Um, I would probably get derided here by people from valve they hear me saying this but i sort of feel it's the sort of most luxury purchase i've made in a long time i only really got it because i thought it'd be something cool to bring in and let, let people in the company play it every day and everything i will say that the day i got it about five people that have never spoken to me before like started coming around the office saying, oh is that a steam deck can i take a look and they played it but it is sort of a gimmick i, I think it's fun it definitely has a purpose especially if you're on like long haul travel and things like that um, I think it will stick in a sense that I think we will see different iterations, but do I think it's going to be like a new competitor? I'm not really sure. I think it's still a little bit, it's neither cheap enough nor accessible enough nor powerful enough. Like maybe it's trying to appeal to too many pe- things at the same time. I'm glad it exists though, put it that way. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting to see like games that are actually made for that platform. So currently it's still like okay, these these are like PC console games, but what what is like a Steam Deck game? Uh I I don't know yet. Um but in a, in a, in a way it's it is a convenient device to actually like keep around versus like a 
a, a like a gaming device that's that's usually like used for work. Like I'm I'm a Mac user, for instance, so I don't have that much access to to Steam games anyway. So it's a there's some convenience there for sure. Yeah, in in terms of my habits, I would more quickly buy um, a handheld. How do you call it? A peripheral for my iPhone to play games like I do my console on my mobile phone instead of a Steam Deck. To each their own. But yeah, I think it'll probably be pretty niche too. Um, I think, yeah, between the price point, nothing, and as Joaquin said, nothing is really made for it. Um, yeah, it'll just have a tough time. But it's been more successful actually than I thought it would be. So I'm, I'm happy to see all the, the positivity around it. But guess we'll have to wait a while for something like that to really move that, that corner of the market. Yeah, and then to talk about the platform we have not talked about yet, mobile. I think, Anil, you bring your prediction for this? I will do. It's not just mobile. It's relevant to the whole games industry. But as, as promised, unfortunately, it's not a positive one. But I think it's, it's true where we are. And I think the only way to sort of say it is I think there's going to be mass redundancies, layoffs in the games industry. And I think we'll see studio closures. And um, never nice to hear this. But I think why, why are we in this? And why has the situation got that way? I think big tech kind of were the first sort of like real candle and signal for this, right? Uh, meta laying off. 14% of their workforce globally, which is 11,000 people. Then we had Elon Musk going into Twitter with a flamethrower, getting rid of half their workforce. That was uh, 3,700 people. Then you had Microsoft. It was a sink. It was a sink, yeah. man. It was a sink, not a flamethrower. Exactly. Well, you know, I think there was a flamethrower in the sink. Um, I shouldn't really make light of it. It's quite a sad situation, I think. Microsoft laid off 1,000 people, some of which were in the Xbox games division, not necessarily developers, but still part of that. And then, you know, today, as a time of recording this, Playtick have just announced that they're laying off 600 people. That's 15% of their workforce. Wildlife Studios laid off 300 people last month. Kabam laid off 7% of their workforce. That's 35 people. And unfortunately, I think this thing is going to keep happening. And I think it will also affect... Um, not just existing studios that are just looking to minimize their workforce. But I think, unfortunately, a lot of studios won't make it. Um, hopefully, they're none of Joachim's investments. He said a lot of them are launching the game this year. But there will be some people in precarious positions. And why are we here? Why we've got this you know, in the first place? I feel like what happened is that COVID was actually good for the games industry, <laughs> as bizarre as that might sound, because you know, the amount of revenue and playtime in sort of all technical products went through the roof and companies really over-indexed on that, thinking, okay, this is the new normal, gaming's recession-proof, you know, even in the global pandemic, gaming rises. And I think that's kind of partly true. Um, that's why it was interesting debating with Aaron next year, like, do we think, like, console sales will either, you know, accelerate or decelerate? Because I feel that like when times are bad, you tend to play a lot more games. Like I, I know I certainly do. It's a good way of getting out of depression. But I think these things are, are secular. And so because we kind of now got this sort of lag period where people have realized they went too hard too soon on increasing their team sizes. Now that we've got this global recession, they're going to cut back. Hence, what's the first thing to go? It's always people, sadly. And that's how we're going to end up there. So it's not the best news, I'm afraid, but I think we're going to continue to see this across all major corporations. And I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a few high profile ones bite the bullet as well. Yeah, that is a it is a downer of a prediction. But um and it and obviously it sucks for people who, who are affected, but I, I guess just to kind of take the the glass half full perspective on that is that that's actually very healthy for like the future of businesses. Obviously, a lot of factors here 
are kind of beyond the control of businesses, whatever like platform decisions get made has a very large impact on ecosystems that are built on top of those platforms. And that's just, that's what you sign up for. Um, um, kind of that uncertainty there when you operate in a space like, like this, um, until regulations, you know, you know, come in, but, um, but yeah, I think, um, obviously like COVID and the growth we saw that saw from there paired with just capital being cheap, right. With, at, you know, equity values being high, enabling you know stock-based compensation and raising value for companies at higher rates, being able to kind of fuel that towards employees who then kind of fuel on that growth and debt being cheaper and all of that. Um, it, it sort of like pulled forward a, what people thought was a new normal that wasn't. And then capital became more expensive again, um, growth normalized again. All of those things of which are normal, it was the acceleration that was abnormal. Um, and so a lot of this is, is not really going back to, uh, or it's not, you know, going in a new direction, um, in, in the sense of things being so negative, we haven't seen this before. If anything, it's kind of going back to normal. Um, and that's healthy, taking a more moderate approach to how you run your businesses. And what I've seen so far, just in terms of even just like unemployment rates in general, is they've actually held up really well. And so even though we kind of talk about these pockets of weakness, there still are pockets of strength um, and other and other spots. So I actually feel pretty good about people's abilities to kind of jump to the new uh, jump to new places. You know, there still is a ton of entrepreneurship around. There are companies that are succeeding and and growing. Um, so even though it's a hard time, I think it's healthy and ultimately um, talent, even though it could be tough in the interim, will will probably end up being being fine because of the still the entrepreneurial and growth driven spirit of the industry. Do, do you feel that the, the cycle will ever be broken? Because I feel like the irony here is that because we will see a recession, despite the layoffs, I wouldn't be surprised if gaming as a whole actually grows. And when we get to this time next year, people look back on it and they go, oh, wow gaming really was recession proof do you know what we should do we should open loads more studios and hire loads of people into games yeah. and then a year later and i feel like this is sort of a never-ending cycle and um you kind of mentioned about companies being maybe more you know savvy in terms of doing this so i'll really be interested to get your your thoughts on the yorkin because maybe you know it just seems to always happen it doesn't seem to be something ever stop or is it something that just market forces mean it, it will never change and this is just the way it is and we have to get used to it I think mobile is still kind of the dominant platform globally. Like 3 billion people basically play mobile games. Um, so in a way like that, that's not going to go anywhere. Like even though we're talking about it's really hard times in the, in the mobile game industry, but I, th I think we need to go through this phase of, okay, the playbook doesn't work anymore that we had for the last 10 years. Uh, there's going to be a new one. Uh, we need to adapt a lot more. Uh, there's, there's probably like with like how the incumbents in free to play. That's sort of like still a question mark. How do we, how do we get rid of those candy crushes and all of those ones who are sort of like topping the charge for, for over ten years? Like I love Clash of Clans, but like it's time to move over. <laughs> Somebody else take over, please. So it, in a way like that, that. There's no answer to that. I don't know how it happens, um, because there's there's so much loyalty there with the like the the user base that they have, 
coming back. Um, so yeah, probably it's also like an interest in, for me, a lot in like the diversity of different kind of games coming up, like inventing new genres, new kind of audiences that are playing games. So that's a, a big interest for me. Like how big will those genres grow? I think it, it'll take time, but like, yeah, mobile is not going to go anywhere for sure. If if we look at the data of mobile, we see downloads grew on Google Play, but they slightly declined on iOS. And then if we look at the revenue, uh, the revenue on both platforms declined this year compared to the previous year, even though they're still higher than pre-pandemic levels. Do you believe in terms of revenue and iOS downloads growth, do you think we'll see those metrics changing around next year? For me, that's part of the you know incumbent problem that we have where we have these old legacy games people are playing them and sticking to them and then downloads are going down because people aren't um, actively seeking to to get rid of those titles i, I think that's part of the reason uh, for me at least i don't know anil aaron i mean i hate to say the idfa word but <laughs> i just said it i think that that has a, a pretty big impact here too just in how people are investing in ua right um and I, I don't really know the direction of downloads or things like that, um, really. And, but I do think that a lot of the kind of the negative trends that have put, I mean, economy aside, just kind of the, the structural headwinds that have been put in place from making UA more expensive to target the right people. Um, I don't think that's changing <laughs> anytime soon. Companies are still trying to figure it out yeah. and adapt. And, you know, new solutions to kind of, you know, Im- improve in other ways or even just waiting for like Apple to like improve its own capabilities on its own, you know, ad networks or whatever that really becomes like that takes time. And so maybe at like the end of next year, our 2024 prediction will be like, there's hope it's getting better. But I don't think that um, there is there's just like the clear turnaround there, I would guess. I think you have to say the IDFA award, seeing the downloads decline on Apple compared to the growth on Google Pay. Companies still haven't figured out how to adapt to the privacy changes. And maybe it has to be a more drastic change like Joachim is saying. Um, I wanted to get your take on this, actually, Joachim. I was thinking about what you're saying in terms of the diversity of games and new games being built with the playbook changing with the recession and inflation probably affecting potential founders in terms of the savings that they can uh, gather to build their own their own studio funding being more difficult to get do you believe that there's a financial context through which new studios can take these risks um like thinking about like raising funding like equity funding, for instance, like a VC or angel investors. I think that's still happening, but it's gotten a lot harder. Um, I think there's there's sort of like the the 10-year hangover from mobile, like the, the tailwinds are definitely like nowhere to be seen. Um, there's not been a lot of positive news in gaming recently, and I, I think it's really like shifted the sentiment on the investing side. Um, we haven't really seen any M&A, to be honest, like anything like sort of interesting happening um, like in a while now. Uh, it's like even thinking about how 
20 like 2022 the the big deals like the Microsoft Activision um deal is sort of one but if you remove that it's pretty sad that's how I, I feel and I think that that sentiment kind of reflects back towards like venture capital not being also like very interested in doing doing like riskier bets like that now I've even heard some generalist funds that have previously done gaming that they're pulling away for now that they're not going to do new gaming deals because things are looking sort of like harder to you know scale something with venture capital ironically my guess is that even though you said a lot of things that would make people maybe sound less enthusiastic Joachim my guess is that like the the 2023 vintage of of funds and um you know uh, like VCs investing in the companies that still are taking those shots and doing stuff are probably going to do better than uh, some of the funds that you know launched over the past couple of years where there was a lot more activity a lot more exuberance but a lot of it was priced in a lot of it didn't work um and i, I mean i think you see in harder times that even though maybe there are fewer people taking shots on, you know, at the goal, that the there tends to be less enthusiasm, but it still can be often the best time to be investing. I mean, it's kind of the whole, um, you know, Warren Buffett says, like, be greedy when others are fearful, fearful when others are greedy. Like, that's so true. Um, it doesn't just mm-hmm. matter in public markets, but definitely private markets too, I think. Um, so, yeah, not all of that is is necessarily positive what you said, but I think, um, I don't know, I, I lean more optimistic on all of these things. So I'm not all, uh, I'm not on the unenthusiastic side yet. I'm still pretty excited by what we're going to yeah. see out of this year there. Yeah, I think, Aaron, that's that's totally true. Sort of the, the idea that, okay, you raise funds for a game studio. Okay, you you're not going to go on the track of, okay, then we'd raise another round of funding before we launch or that we raise a couple of times before we launch. I think that's that's sort of like out of the, the picture right now. And now it's more like, okay, you have a solid uh, VC case where you can raise venture capital, uh, but you need to actually prove out things. You need to launch something that works in the time frame that you have the runway that you get with the funding. So that, that creates sort of like a, a dynamic that creates like the great companies, the yeah, recession, it's great, the great companies. Yeah. It's healthier. And I guess like one, like kind of trend line I want to roll through a lot of this is that again, through a lot of like the negativity, a lot of this does lead to healthier activity. And Anil, I know you were kind of asking before about the cycle, like, will we ever get out of this cycle of like, when times are good, people, you know, the games or when times are bad, the games industry does well, and it leads to people thinking it's this new crazy new normal. I think there always will be that. I mean, cycles will always exist, right? They always have both in the economy and technology everywhere. That's just the way the world works. But I think the smart people learn from it. Like you, like your company yourself doesn't have to cycle your attitude and your mindset to how you handle your approach to money or hiring or things like that. And I think like seeing these wild swings is like the best opportunity to learn and like reset and be like, oh yeah, this is what actually healthy, normal 
looks like. And so the next time things get weird, we're not going to go weird with it and, you know, get all out of whack when everyone else does and suffer the consequences later. And we'll maybe not be as exciting. We'll be moving a little bit slower in those times, but come across the other side healthier. And I think a lot of, you know, the smart entrepreneurs and investors um, do realize that. So yeah, the cycles will always be there, but I think smart people can learn to adapt and play them well. Uh, one take, Anil, on what you're talking about in terms of talent. I, I, it's just been on my mind that games in general usually pay less than having the same role, for example, in tech. And so with the layoffs and with the inflation, salaries not really being able to keep up with the increase in cost of living, I believe that we'll see talent leave gaming to go into tech where you can easily get maybe almost double that your salary would be in gaming. Do you think overall this might affect the industry? Well, but the issue is tech itself is hemorrhaging jobs even worse than the games industry. So I'm not sure those jobs will really be there. I think it might be quite similar to I was a lowly programmer back in the days of 2007 when we had the financial crash there. And I remember around that time, there was no point looking for a job. You know, just every recruiter would just be like, no, 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 what are you talking about? Just stay where you are. Now, I don't think it will ever get to that stage. I think as kind of Aaron sort of mentioned that when times are tough, others can be greedy and perhaps those who've got those pockets could actually pick up some really good talent on the cheap. I also think that, you know, the work from home revolution is actually great for gaming because it means that you're not just tied to have something in your own local, you know, domestic, but, you know, you can work anywhere in the world. And if you've got the talent, you'll always be sought after. So I think if you're good at what you do, you don't really need to worry in that sense. But I do think that just in general, though, these sort of times of sourcing mass hiring and people try to take those people on the team, they'll be way more conservative. Um, so I don't think we'll see people leave to go to other industries. No, um, we may see more people doing contract work, short term gigs, maybe working on something they're not truly passionate about for a year or two just to make ends meet before they go on to something big. I think that's more likely in my opinion. Okay. Um, are we all ready to move on to the next one? Uh, I think, it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll really lean on what, what we just discussed. This is actually part of my intro. So we've talked about uh, mobile gaming metrics. We've talked about the impacts of IDFA. And the consequences of that is that mobile gaming, it's a mature market. <laughs> And the UA budgets needed to scale a UA game are just growing and growing year on year. And then I think we're also we're, we're going to ha- see an answer in terms of studios exploring creative solutions to these problems. A bit of what Joachim, you were saying about reinventing the playbook in terms of mobile gaming. And this is my prediction. I think we're going to see more multi-core gameplay games. This is the name I came up with to try to describe what it is. So we, when ATT first started coming around, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, studios should be doing cross-promotion, keeping players within the same ecosystem, but that comes with a lot of friction. Um, That comes with not really being proven on a wide scale on how to do it. And we started seeing some examples in the market of, for example, X-Hero and um, Age of Frostfall of games that are using a gameplay mechanic that is hyper-casual, casual, to have a a bigger top-end funnel within the game itself that then is used to onboard players into a more complex uh, mid-core gameplay. That's where the spend depth is. And I think we're going to see more studios 
trying to figure out these solutions of how do I mash up my spend depth and the complex mid-core game, but how can I use the core another gameplay within the mobile game to target a wider audience? Yeah, like I haven't seen that work usually. I think there's a players are smarter than we think. <laughs> you're, you're sort of you can't do a lot of these kind of trickeries where where people are sort of like you know brought in in a side door and then it's actually a different kind of party <laughs> that that they were mm-hmm. thinking that they would be joining. So I think that's a the conflict there, um, which I think is. It's a hard one to crack. I think some a lot of people have been trying. Uh, I'm hoping that it will happen one day, but like I, I'm not too positive. What's the term you gave it, Maria? I love the. Uh, it's a, a multi-core gameplay. Multi-core gameplay, love it, love it. Well, um, it could do. I, I I don't know if that's necessarily the solution. I suppose it could work. You've definitely got precedent with the examples you've given. I think though the wider point which is reinventing the playbook, which has come up a few times already over our kind of current themes, I think is definitely true. Um, that's kind of happened already, I think. You know, some companies have already done it, like branding is still really big. You know, IP, influencer marketing was big, but now, you know, more difficult to get going. But for example, right now, I think a lot of games see a lot of success marketing their games on TikTok, for example. So there will always be a way. I think it will be interesting to see what the, the winning formula is. And I think that can apply in many different ways as well. I mean, sometimes you just get a breakout genre that comes from nowhere, e.g. Battle Royale, and then all of a sudden, or Auto Battlers was all the rage for a while. That sort of dissipated after about a year when it turned out the spend depth wasn't there, but it can always mm-hmm. happen. And perhaps that's what we'll see. And maybe, you know, again, kind of tying back into what Aaron's been saying is that maybe this sort of healthy for the industry is that when it gets to sort of the tough times, people have to be more creative. Um, you know, there's this story they love to say in the UK how the Spitfire was developed because uh, that's all the parts they had left in in England at the time to make a plane. And they came up with this kick-ass plane that if they had 10x the budget, they'd probably make a worse one. So you might well see something there. Um, I think as well, there are some other topics I'll probably lean into later as well that could help that, that could really make for some sort of new ideas or ways to get um, games working again. I, for one, will be very interested to see what the new playbook is because uh, I'd like to know it myself if I'm being honest. But I think that there will always be successes even in the downtimes. And I think it will probably be most likely that this year we might see some unusual ones come out. Um, but, you know, even with like performance marketing, like Survivor IO recently by Habby, who made Archero, has been doing really well. And they've not been shy about spending on performance marketing. And, you know, there are some sort of AI solutions out there to work out what the best marketing is. So maybe that's not as dead as people think it is. Um, and, you know, maybe what's... Uh, old is new again might even see something like that yeah i think what, why i keep coming back to you is the costs of trying to scale a game on mobile on the mobile platform uh, because all the things that were mentioned in terms of influencer marketing brand marketing performance marketing that requires high budgets to spend and it's a lot of trial and error that has a high cost if you have an error and you know before mobile you did a good game and you got featured on the store and that would be what you needed to become a successful game. I think what's been on my mind is, is mobile still the right platform that if you're a scrappy studio, you have a short runway or, you know, you have a small bootstrap and you need to extend that runway. Is mobile the right platform to target? That's a really good point because it does feel like the barrier to entry is way harder than it was in the past. 
Um, yeah, but maybe- yeah, I, I think like more people should think more outside of the box. In mean, like you know, because I'm still thinking that seeing a lot of people going through like, okay, we're gonna launch the game to look at KPIs. Uh, is that the right way you should be thinking about with this new playbook? Are there other ways to approach uh, getting a feel if this is a good like market match, if there's a product market fit? Uh, I don't know. Like that, I think there's there's mobile sort of is stuck with the the old patterns already. So let's shake them off. So you don't think it'll be substituted by a new platform? I don't know. Maybe studios opening in the next couple of years, targeting something like AR, VR the new platforms that still don't have those incumbents. Yeah, it would be fun to actually see a new platform <laughs> uh, get rid of Apple's sort of dominance and, and also Google. I do think there'll be but, more pressure yeah. on that, though. Mm, true. That is I, true. I do think there, there will be more pressure on just like the App Store monopolies, though, right? And so much of like what's holding people back is just what they're not allowed to do <laughs> um, in, in the sense of like even just like links elsewhere. And, you know, having like we saw recently, what was it like I forget uh, Microsoft, did they like sue Apple or it was it was something they did. They did something that, that we talked about where basically they were trying to, you know, put their own like you can't have games within a game or like several games within an app. And so seeing more regulatory pressures, allowing just for more types of things to be possible. Um, I think it's inevitable that that happens. I don't know if that if 2023 is going to be the year regulators finally crack down or what the catalyst of that is really going to be. But it's so obvious that tensions are rising. It's so obvious that like the the antitrust concerns here are really severe and i don't know why i mean i've had this rant so many times don't do it again on just the insanity of why regulators focus on certain things and not other things um but what like once some of those like pieces are like unblocked it's it's just going to unlock more creativity and new dimensions that it's probably going to benefit the biggest companies most um who can like you know kind of bundle things together and have distribution advantages, but it also will unlock potential for startups to test, you know, new designs and link things in different ways. And, you know, just anywhere there's creativity, there's usually, um, you know, something interesting happens. Aaron, you're going to talk about, talk about blockchain games. Yeah. Another riveting topic. Um, so, (laughs) um, so I guess, first of all, um, uh, just to, just to mention it, Novik is working on an upcoming report with Delphi Digital that um, we were kind of working on building like the ultimate guide to the state of blockchain gaming going into 2023. So if you're interested in seeing that, it'll probably launch early next year. Just sign up to Novik Digest, as I'm sure most listeners are, and we'll we'll drop it there for you to see it. But I'm really excited about that. And our core thesis of that report really is just that if 2022 was the year that play to earn died. In other words, when games in which the point of playing is to earn, they very clearly proved unsustainable and all fell apart, then 2023 is going to be the great reset. It has to be. Um, And there's been a steady stream of infrastructure and tooling improvements. um, But 2023 really has to be the year in which 
most people making these crypto games refocus and reprioritize on what matters most, which is fun above all, but you know, also sustainability, scalability, and business model, and like really move towards best practices that don't hinge so purely on greed, FOMO, um, high barriers to entry. And you know, that's really the only way that this industry can move forward from its Wild West state that it's in today. And there are a ton of people trying to do that. And a lot of it is just, there's been a lot of good and a lot of bad, but a lot of the bad is leaving. And so there's more good there. But the, those good people that are that are in there, like really have to kind of take the reins to reset the narrative around um, what they stand for or what they're trying to do um, kind of as a, as a whole. Um, to to kind of move that side of the industry in a new healthier direction, and that perspective isn't necessarily new. We've been talking about a lot of the 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 unsustainability factors, as well as you know, kind of debating the the philosophical like upside potential and um, you know best practices around all of this for a long time now. Um, but you know, my guess is that you know, twenty twenty three is just going to be a relatively more quiet building year. We're, we're already seeing a lot of better games in this space hit the alpha and beta status. And um, we've covered a lot of them. And Novic Pro recently, we covered Guild of Guardians, Alluvium, Fan of Galaxies, Aurori, etc. And we'll see you know, much more of these types of games you know, make progress next year. Um, but at the same time, it probably, for the most part, means that 2023 is probably not going to be that breakout year just because it's really hard to go from everything is broken to suddenly everyone is playing this thing like like that um so quickly there's there's a longer time period of i mean obviously like the building of the infrastructure and tooling to like make it better for awesome people to build awesome things like there there's that whole layer but also too just you know figuring out the the best practices um, and then just taking time to build great games and all of these factors, um, especially when there's uncertainty, you know, it just means it'll take time for really like what's going to move the market in massive ways for that to play out. I do think it'll be a much healthier year and we'll see progress and more reason for optimism, um, probably not even in the sense of just you know, transforming people's lives and things like that, but just being good games, like like back to the basics of, of good games. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative prediction. Um, I, I think it leans more more positive, just again because it leans more healthy and what is sustainable. But um, yeah, I guess that's that that's my take on that. We'll see a lot of progress, but probably not like the mainstream breakout hits there. But Anil, since you're in the thick of it, I'm curious. Uh, what you think about all of that. I knew this one was being fired my way. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'd like to say I'm part of that fight right now, which is trying to make great games first and utilizing the technology second. I think it ties into a lot of the things that we've all been talking about. It's kind of funny how a lot of these predictions have common themes. So I guess I think studios that I can see going out of business are ones that have bought poorly thought out games that raise a load of money in the crazy bull run and now are working out that their tactic doesn't work and they don't really know how to make game and they're going to be in, in trouble, those probably will go under. I think you're right to say I don't personally think that there's going to be a breakout blockchain game this year. Um, but the main reason I think that is maybe a bit different. I think that's because 
it's still going to take quite a while for it to really get popular in the West. And I think things like the FTX debacle that's happened recently mean that crypto is in an even worse place than it was from the previous shitstorm, which was <laughs> the Terra Luna situation. So that's got so much work to do that I feel like even if there's a great game, it will have a lot of work to do if it's appealing to the West. Where I could see a caveat is I do actually think in other regions of the world that don't really care about that so much, we may start to see like serious traction from some games. And I actually think that is likely because I think there's so much in development. I cannot see there being just by the sheer sort of, it's like, you know, there must be aliens out there because there's about a million planets that we don't know about, right? It's like similarly, like there must be a blockchain game out there that is good that's going to do well because there's so many in development it's impossible for it not to happen so i think that will be the case i do actually think though that there is a slight problem though which is that with people just building and not releasing especially if they stay in sort of beta or alpha that you are going to get the classic mistake of some teams over developing a product that it just turns out was never going to work in the first place and my prediction is i actually think we're going to see some quite high profile casualties of that and i think they're going to be guilty of not really learning a space like this is like one of the most rapid environments i've personally ever been a part of like um prior to this call i just told you how it felt like it was 10 years in one year and i don't see that really changing and therefore i think if you put all your eggs in one basket and you overdevelop something that never really had product marketing fit then you're gonna have like this you know sunken cost fallacy of putting all, all of this money into projects and they won't work out um, I actually think it's going to be smarter for people to try many different things within the same ecosystem and then just work out what is the best by sheer trial and error, because that's the best way of doing it. Like control the things you can rather than things that you can't. Um, that said, I have played a lot of the, the high profile ones myself. There are definitely some that are really cool. So I could see them being good when they launch just because they feel pretty good already, if I'm being honest. Um, let's see it. But I think you're right. I don't think we'll see that... Um, massive breakout success this year maybe the year after is more likely but i think we will see some good stuff in asia and regions like that what kind of stuff um in asia do you think would do well in this space or like have you seen any like projects in particular that you think have like have what it takes and i asked because like i i mean we have looked at a bunch of projects across regions and you know they're like even like most of like the big companies in Japan and Korea, you know, they're they're all working on things. But personally, and, and there's a lot we haven't seen. Um, probably most we haven't seen. But from what I have seen, I'm not sure I've seen a single thing yet that really has me going like, "Yep, that's that's the one." Um, so uh, yeah, I'm curious. Like, yeah, just any more like thoughts you have on like what possibly. Like, what about those games or like, where could it come from that there actually would be some success over there that might even inform success elsewhere? I'm quite bullish on this mobile Battle Royale game that's been mentioned a few times on this Metacast <laughs> over the, the recent months. But, you know, putting my own personal gender aside, I do sometimes think that some people are going a bit too crazy on things. Like, the innovation in these games to begin with is just the blockchain Web3 element. Like, that by itself is a huge innovation. It's like I then feel that people are doing additional crazy things on the gameplay are maybe trying to jump to the end game too quickly when you've got to do all that basic building blocks first. So I think what you'll see is that the games that are out there may surprise you by not necessarily looking like totally transformative, but it's more like, I guess, like a burger joint. It's something that you've already liked 
but it's got some sort of slight twist to it. And they're the ones that pick up traction. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're looking for is traction. We will know what the winners are just because they're popular. And why are they popular? Just because. Just they happen to be the games that really resonate with certain markets, start doing really well, and and then they end up taking over. Um, I wouldn't really know what they are, but I actually think that they'll be more in the conservative end than they will be in this sort of, you know, crazy thing. I think just like, what we don't have right now is just like a successful game that just has NFTs in it, for example. You know, like where where is the first person shooter? Where is the MOBA? Where is the the strategy game? Where is the, you know, insert any one of multiple genres that are always popular, fighting game, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like we need a few of those first. They're going to be the ones that really sort of like start opening up the gates. And then you'll see the more innovative stuff come in. Um, that's my personal you know, that's probably not the most audacious, <laughs> you know, prediction that's ever been made. But I think it's just most likely. I mean, even if I go back to the early days of free to play, Clash of Clans was an amazing game, but it was just Backyard Monsters by Kicksite, Moida Mobile. Um, you know, Heyday was Farmville, but had a nice UX. Not to obviously diminish in any way, shape or form how amazing those games were at the time. But they weren't kind of like crazy revolutionary. They were ideas that were already existed there. They were just like really well done in this case by using the free-to-play business model, but also I feel the UX in those games that appealed to mobile and showed you that you could go that way. So I think it'll be the same thing. Like you'll just get a, a game genre that's already popular, that has these transactions in it. That's what makes it popular. They start blowing up. Then these ideas get carried across. And then you'll see maybe the sort of real behemoths in a couple of years' time afterwards. So, um, yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, and if that's the way it goes, it might, you know, I don't want to say kill the narrative of, like, Web3 games, crypto games, like, being its own thing, but they just become games again, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, same, same here. Like, there's no, like, I, I think... We're going to hide the whole blockchain thing. Yeah. I hope quite day, soon it's somewhere in, in the background. Yeah. The day I play a blockchain game, uh, you know, actually every day and be very much into it is the day I can sign up, link my account with my Apple account. And then if I want at the end of the day to sell my account, but I don't want to see anything else. I don't want to go somewhere else to have to go and sell my things. I don't want to have to store a seed phrase in my password password holder because then I'll forget about it. Yeah, I think I'm absolutely on board with you on that. And Blast Royale. Well, I mean, you might notice that that's kind of similar to what I've just described there. So that's obviously our strategy around particularly launching that. But I think, again, that like having been involved in sort of uh, mobile games early on, a similar thing happened where uh, to begin with, people went a bit too audacious and those ones didn't particularly succeed, whereas there was sort of like a slower trajectory. So, you know, for example, now, you know, Fortnite, PUBG are huge on mobile, but even back in 2007, 2008, people were trying it. There was a game called Eliminate Pro. I don't know if anyone remembers that. Um, that company ended up getting bought by DNA, but that was like a first-person shooter, already working on mobile at the time, Twin Sticks. And back then, people said, Twin Sticks will never work. You know, I remember at one point, people said to us, Midcore will never work, etc., uh, etc. Et and it did. It just took a while, but it took certain games to break down the barriers before we would get there. And, 
you know, same thing. I think your um, representation there, Maria, is, you know, very typical. You just you don't really want to care about that stuff. You just want to play a game. But if you play the game and the game is brilliant and then it had this additional stuff on top and there was a benefit to you as a person and as a player, then sure, you're all for it. But first and foremost, as we've been saying here, concentrate on the game and making that good. And then last one for the episode. We're running a little bit, but Joaquim... Very curious. We've talked about M&A funding here and there. I think you're going to wrap up the episode with giving us a prediction for that. Yeah. Like I, I said earlier, I think the, the whole whole industry needs sort of like good news soon um, so that we get things back rolling again. Um, of course, like it's it's hard to see like where that will come from, but I think there's people are building stuff. There's so many games coming out, so like good news is definitely in the horizon somewhere. People are there are uh, demographics that are looking for great games or are ready to play those great games. So as long as we get some good news, I think M and A will start picking up. Um, there's you know the capital they will find the capital to do those deals. Um, if it makes sense. But currently, it's just, you know, it's not the right time right now. So we have to wait and see. I, but I think this is what's exciting and beautiful of being in games. We talked about mobile, the advent of PUBG and Fortnite, all of these new platforms are being explored. It comes in cycles. Web3 is just, it comes in cycles. And people always want to play games, always want to have fun. It's just a a need that we all had. It was snowing in London the other day and I couldn't go to sleep because there were adults having snowball fights and laughing like they were very, very young of happiness. So good news will come. I'm very certain of that. Well, no, I was going to lean into that with where I think there is possible good news. And I was surprised we, we kind of haven't talked about it. But it, unless you've been living under a rock, everyone's LinkedIn and Twitter feed is all about generative AI, or let's call it what it really is, machine learning. But I think the thing that's most applicable for that sort of technology is games. And I think if there is going to be a rally, that's where it's going to come from. And I feel the reason why is because, look, if we're talking about people cutting costs and people sort of not wanting to take risks, well, being able to generate loads of content without having to have huge workforces to do it means people can be more innovative, means people can try more stuff. And I think it's going to be like one of the most sort of, you know, revelatory things in gaming for a very long time. And I hope it doesn't lead to people losing their job. I don't think it will do. I think what will happen is you'll just get existing artists that work out how to almost sort of create their own subdivision of people that work for them and be able to create more assets. But some of the results I've seen already from some developers is absolutely staggering. I think to myself that if I hadn't, if I wasn't in the startup right now, I would be super motivated to do it purely because of this technology. Because now there's a case where like three or four people could probably make a game that would take 20 or 30 people to do. 20 or 30 people when 3D sort of generative AI We'll be able to make a much bigger game as well. So I think that that will be the good news thing because I think that just means that there can be so many more shots on goal being made from so many other teams that people who understand it. And I think we will see when MA start picking up again that people who've got that as part of their pipeline, a very heavy and integral part of it, will probably be the ones that get acquired because they could prove so much traction so much faster by working smart, not hard. Joaquim, I'd like to get your pulse on the the funding environment going into 2023 
uh, just sort of like based on the segment, uh, the different segments. Like obviously, you know, blockchain gaming was all the hype last year. AI seems to be, you know, accelerating in hype right now. Um, and, you know, mobile is kind of going through its its struggles. I'm curious just from your point of view of looking at a lot of companies, talking to a lot of investors, like, where are people becoming more excited as an investors right now? Where are they becoming less excited? Like how, how is the the sentiment in the VC community trending? I think things are in a way like great teams with a great product, uh, you know, great traction, all of that always gets funded. Like it doesn't, really matter there's there's going to be somebody who's going to fund it but like if you're coming in with something that uh was okay last year it's sort of not going to be okay this year so in a sense it's just gotten a bit harder that's how i would categorize it for everybody uh of course we saw things like you know like what didn't work like play to earn stuff i think like you need to figure figure it out in a different way, what you're going to be building. I think also, I, I'm not sure like what's happening on the metaverse side. I don't really um, have any like thoughts on like because none of those products have been working. There's no, not been really a product market fit yet uh, with all those metaverse startups. So it, in a sense, like I, I think a really good team, a studio. Um, with something that's differentiated, it's definitely going to be funded. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot harder, for sure, on all the stages. And it will be funded to try to prove traction further rather than getting constant funding without proving that traction, which I believe you said earlier in the episode. Yeah, exactly. So kind of going back and raising another round before you launch, that's extremely hard right now is this the next thing that like people are just going to be throwing money at left and right you think joaquin i mean not not speaking for yourself but just in general like are you seeing uh, are you seeing this yeah being, like that next uh, big thing i'll give my five cents as well okay. <laughs> no i i um i think there's there's a lot of big things that are coming out there for sure like how do we start utilizing this generative ai stuff but i think I, i'm not a big believer that the tools uh, that are out there right now is is the place where you know the big returns will come from VC funds. I, I think it's more on the sort of what Lenza is doing right now, the app. Like how do you take that forward? Like that consumer appetite for uh, generating UGC with AI. Like I'm more interested in that that sort of area versus like, okay, what's the next Photoshop filter? gonna be with AI so I'm per I personally think that next year we'll see uh, maturation is that an English verb I think it is right yeah of the usage of these tools and understanding product market fit further and how they can actually be applied in gaming I do believe that similar to blockchain is something that professionals you can't avoid it it's here it delivers benefits and so it's finding how can you reinvent yourself? How can you reinvent your role and what you love to do alongside these tools? Hopefully it doesn't end up in job loss. But it, 
it does change how we execute. And so it's figuring out, I think whoever adapts to that first will have an advantage, not only in terms of building games, but also being better at executing. And I think, Joaquim, I thought it was quite interesting when blockchain first started coming about that you were very transparent that as an investor, you had to just upskill on that whole segment so that you could understand the market better. And in terms of your decision-making, is there anything you have slated in term for next year that you want to scale up on? I think constantly learning on like what characteristics of a founder uh, are sort of like early signals of success. I think that's, I'm, I'm so early stage focused that it's usually just a team in place. So like that's an area where I'm spending a lot of time. I think like the blockchain thing went quite fast, actually, like just, you know, quickly understand like what are all the, the tokenomic systems that people are working on, how do these chains work and everything like that. That was quite technical in a way. Uh, and later on, you could see that that's sort of that layer of understanding isn't that necessary anymore um, as an understanding. I think there's uh, general knowledge is great, but like as a as an early stage investor, I think the the area where everybody should always be focusing on is just figuring out like what are the characteristics of founders um, that make sense to invest in. And I don't want to put you under the spotlight, but we are talking about funding next year. Do you have any words of advice of anyone who's listening that is keen to start their own thing of, you know, do this and you'll have more chances of succeeding? Uh, regarding like building a great, uh, a succeeding company. Um, yeah, that area is, yeah. I think team, picking the right team is the biggest leverage that anybody can have. Like at the early stage, like just adding right like one team member who's like a like a superhuman <laughs> that that usually helps a lot that's what i've seen happen like as the biggest thing like the the most um biggest leverage you can think of and when you say superhuman well in what way like some areas where they're complementary to you but they they have ambition they are they have the right kind of attitude for building a company uh, they can also build teams i think cause like startups where you're thinking about raising capital it's usually it means that you're going to be adding people quite quickly so like if you have somebody who already knows how to start building a like an organization and setting up things that it's effective and works. I think that's a big, big superpower. Does anyone else have anything to add in terms of predictions, learnings? I don't think so. I think um, I'm just excited to see another year and the surprises that it brings. I mean, the thing about predictions is that you're always wrong about something. And so there's always <laughs> something, something to learn and, you know, something new yeah. to get hopefully excited about. Um, so... Yeah, ready to move on to 2023. Yeah, thank you, Anil, Joachim, Aaron, for joining. That was really good to go and just wrap up the year of everything that's been happening. If you want to join the conversation, you can find us on the Navic Discord. 
You can sign up to the Navic Digest, which is the free newsletter to stay up to date with everything that's happening. And if you're going to be on holiday, you can also just listen to our library of other episodes in terms of the roundtables, Crypto Corner and industry leader interviews. Thank you for joining and I'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.